0: Hello and welcome to the Pages of Light podcast, your destination for discussions of popular fantasy and science fiction novels from a Christian worldview. My name is Tyler, aka Verum, and with me as always is Gabriel, aka the Quarantine Quartermaster. Welcome back to the podcast, Gabe.
1: Good to be here. Excited to talk about the Wheel of Time. Um, Round three. Hey, this is our first time doing three episodes on one book. I'm kind of impressed three
0: episodes so the first two episodes if you did not listen to or watch those were talking about mostly like the whole plot and storyline of the first book of the wheel of, wheel of time which is called the eye of the world and it's a pretty long book so it took us a while to get through all of the plot points and you had to leave room for a few like side quests of course on the podcast so um and that's had... okay <laughs> yes that's okay so we had to make it I had to do one more episode here. And uh, so today we're just basically going to be talking about a lot of the character stuff. So we'll just look at all of the main characters, some of the side characters, and some of like the various enemies. Um, we'll just see how far we get, and uh, if we still have time after that, we'll talk a little bit about world building and some of the stuff that we um, enjoyed in that with that aspect of uh, of the Wheel of Time, because the first book in the series always has a ton of world building because you have to lay the foundation for your entire story 14 books this series is so there's lots of stuff to cover and lots of history and all sorts of little things that are revealed throughout the story so uh yeah that's gonna be our game plan for this episode and um as of recording this the wheel of time tv show is still going on right now so i think uh six episodes are out right now and um so in two weeks the season one should be done so and then we'll also plan to do an episode just on the tv show the first season just giving our thoughts uh on that oh and to i the have books. some thoughts yes i'm sure you have some thoughts i definitely have some thoughts um from what i've seen so far so um so we will avoid talking about any of the show related things in this episode and we'll save all of that stuff for uh, its own podcast whenever the season Fair is deal. all done and uh because sometimes you're like well why didn't they do this thing well the season's not over yet so let's just wait give the whole season some time and uh then we'll go from there so all right so let's just uh jump in so main characters so where a better place to start than uh rand AlThor? he is um i guess he's the main character because he has the most viewpoint chapters and we're mostly in his head throughout the whole story so and from what i've heard it's basically like that for the first three books until some of the other characters get a little bit more fleshed out later in the series so um but for this first book it's definitely mostly all uh rand and uh yeah i don't know what did you
1: what did you think of rand as a character do you like him do you hate him (laughs) Uh yeah, um he's a good old farm boy. He's um That's right. Yeah, and he's also the Dragon Reborn. You know, he's 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 all things. Um, Sheep herder and so. Dragon
0: Reborn. That's going to be his yeah. his Twitter profile.
1: <laughs> able able to channel the power. Um I mean, there wouldn't be a book series if it wasn't the Dragon Reborn right here. So, That's right. um Yeah, so I think that um I mean, you can't get more remote than, like, the two rivers, it seems like. It, you yeah. know, on the edge of Manetherin, um, the lands there, and, like, just bringing this... I mean, he's an innocent, basically, yes. at the beginning. Like, he's not a person who has, like killed or you know like the worst thing he's done is like played some jokes on like the the girls in the village like that's like the worst thing he's done so um it's going to be interesting to watch his um to becoming basically the most powerful male on the planet (laughs) and how um he's going to be wielding the power and how this is going to change him because i mean he can't stay the same and we already see him starting to change and um you know he starts to, you know, fight with his sword a little bit uh, in this book, and mm-hmm. uh, he he is just he is just going to bud. Um, he is not a, and he's going to go through his metamorphosis, all the cliches all at once. Um, <laughs> he's gonna um, really change, and I and I just like that we're starting with him as a character who's an innocent, and he's going to move yeah. towards. Um, you know, he's Taviran, so he, he kind of changes the world around him and, and kind of sparks events going on close Mm -hmm. by. So I, I think he's a good character and I'm interested to see where his storyline goes over the next uh, series of books. Yeah. What'd you think Tyler, AKA Verum?
0: Yeah, I will say, um, as of recording this, I'm almost done with the second book, the great hunt. So i kind of like have a little bit of foreknowledge and i think you've probably you've finished the book second book haven't you Um, yes Mm -hmm. so we do have a bit of foreknowledge as what as to what happens later with some of these characters so i'll try to like just keep my thoughts to like what happened in the first book um yeah you mentioned he was he's like an innocent and like kind of naive character in a way because he's from such like a remote village and um I don't know if that's like, I guess that's like a cliche and like, cause Lord of the Rings kind of has that with Frodo and the hobbits. Like they're these innocent people who have to go on this adventure. Um, and I think there's something to be said about like the people who are the most innocent and like good hearted kind of people when they go on, like they're the type of characters that make good heroes because they've, they have that innocence and that good willed nature about themselves like they're not they've haven't been like corrupted by the world and like the way of the world and so they want to try and like do the right thing in a way um now some of the emmons field characters like don't fit into that box like matt's kind of like a troublemaker and um we don't really know a lot about like parent's personality um just yet but like rand is kind of like he, like i think he's been brought up like with Tam who has like, he was away in the war that we find out. um, um Cause he has that hair and Mark blade. So he must've been involved in something um, pretty crazy. um, So and I think he's kind of like brought him up in a way that's like ch- trying to shield him from like the bad things of the world. And I don't know that, that might just say something about like those type of characters make really good heroes because they are always trying to do the right thing, no matter what the cost of it is. And like, they haven't, like really seen the consequences of what like making the wrong decision could turn out to be. Sure. Um, that, so that word is,
1: I think it's integrity <laughs> yeah, doing the right thing a, even when no one's looking.
0: Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think Rand just kind of like embodies that like he wants to do the right thing all the time. Um, which can be to your detriment sometimes, like you're always trying to do the right thing, but that might hurt you, um, in some ways. So, um yeah i mean i really like rand i think he, he has a an interesting backstory him looking like an Iielman, and uh how that will play in um in like his later character development um and yeah i don't know any other do you have any other thoughts on rand
1: um No, I just think that he's just, like we said already, he's just a solid character. He never gives up on Matt. um, True. And he's always thinking about his friends. Uh, I think that, um, yeah, he's just a, I think Robert Jordan did a really good job of making him a down-to-earth, like more focused on relationships and not on like um, possessions Mm -hmm. and stuff. And he's, um, yeah, yeah, he's a good character.
0: Yeah, and I also think Rand is kind of like a reluctant hero. Like he doesn't want necessarily the responsibility oh yeah i definitely of what, agree um being the dragon reborn will entail and i'll just say like this continues in the in the second book for sure like he's kind con- he's constantly like not wanting to uh take responsibility and like have this fact that's true about him be true about him and he wants to like kind of run away in a sense um yeah and so but you can definitely see like the beginnings of that in um, this first book where he he kind of feels like it is true but he's like ah they don't really want this responsibility but I think in the end and I don't I don't know this yet but I think in the end he's going to be a character who does accept this responsibility and who really like takes ownership of all of that it means and, and again he is a character who always wants to do the right thing so if he feels like this is the way that this is the thing that he needs to do um, to help save like his friends or um, the people that are around him, like I think he's going to do it even if if it's not something that he would have chosen for himself necessarily.
1: And now I got to build off that because I think (laughs) that's a really good observation. Um, I definitely agree that he is a reluctant hero and he's trying to um, not come to grips with this. He's kind of running from it. But at the same time, I feel like those are the people that um, the people who don't want power and the people who don't want I don't want responsibility, like their hearts in the right place. So like, he doesn't want to be this big showy, you know, dragon reborn, you know, there's so many rumors flying around, but what that could be, um, but there, you know, there is a part of Christianity that's just like, you don't want the limelight. You don't want to be the center. You want to be the, the kind of the the dependable person who's always there and, you know, ready to take on what's next for the Lord. And, um, and if you, and if you make it all about yourself, um, which I've done in the past, plenty, um, just all about me, me, me. Um, that's not a good posture, um, for a Christian. Um, it's, it's more about how can I serve? How can I take care of the things that I'm responsible for? I think, um, being a Christian is about, taking responsibility um which is kind of like the opposite of what we're talking about ran i think he's just he's just not ready but i mean that's a lot of our stories we're not ready when uh responsibility comes our way and um we have to eventually we have to recognize i mean i know some people who just continue to run and i just see them and i'm just like like you make yourself so busy so you don't have to come to grips with The reality of of your life um you just like always jumping from thing to thing to thing um it's it's when we take down and sit sit down and we say like i'm responsible for this and i need to take the time that it takes to like do it well um that's when you can have a lot of personal growth and i think god wants to see that for us
0: yeah
1: side quest complete that's a good word there
0: and uh if we want to kind of keep like the there was a, we were talking a lot about in the other episodes the parallels to lord of the rings and uh i think rand is kind of almost a hybrid between frodo and aragorn like he has the naivety of frodo and all the hobbits but he has like the reluctancy of like aragorn who doesn't want to be the king he doesn't want to take the responsibility um, of being uh, king of gondor and so he's been like avoiding that his whole life um Mm. and uh but when the time is right aragorn he has to decide this he either has to become who he was born to be or he has to let um his friends die and middle earth fall um so in that moment he has to make an important decision and there might be a decision like that for rand in the future where he has to decide am i gonna be the person i was born to be or am i gonna uh falter and uh i guess choose the choose no responsibility and like the easy way out i guess even though it might result mm-hmm. in bad things happening yeah all right that's enough on rand let's move on to uh i guess i don't know if he has a better friend if here if parent or matt are either are better friends than one or the other but uh let's talk about matt who's like the troublemaker the uh um the gambler and the mischievous one the mischievous the uh treasure seeker <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> much to much to his uh demise in the first book and uh <laughs> yeah I, I don't know i liked matt i think he's a uh he doesn't really get a lot of screen time because he's basically he gets that dagger and he's just like oh like a like a soggy log for the re- for the whole book like he doesn't really do anything <laughs> um
1: yeah, you're kind of right like that. He doesn't get a lot of, um, we're not privy to the what he's thinking. Yes. Uh, he's just more of a companion sort of, uh, with yeah. Rand for the majority of the book.
0: Yeah. But they, are, all three of them are like involved in those dreams. So there's all, there's something special about each of the three Rand, Matt and Perrin. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to like seeing more of like what is special about Matt, um, I don't, I think this was actually said in the show, not in the book, but I, I've watched the show recently, so I'm just thinking about it, but like in one scene, Moraine says something like Matt has a lot of power in him or else that the dagger would have like killed him essentially like weeks ago. So that like Ah. gives me a hint that he had, there's something about Matt, um, like there's some kind of power involved with Matt, whether that's some kind of dark power or, um, some kind of good power i'm not sure yet um but yeah he's he's definitely an interesting character we just don't really get a lot of insight into who he is as a character um in this first book so i um, it's kind of hard to say like a ton about him um, other than that he likes to get find treasure <laughs> and get cursed <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, I think Matt, yeah, like you said, we don't know too much about him, um, I but what we do know is that he's another farm boy, he lived in the Two Rivers, um, yeah. you know, outdoorsy life, and then like, you know, Rand comments or something in his brain that like, you know, Matt's kind of like the kid who never grew up, he still wants to play pranks on people, he covered yeah. the, the dogs in flour, and they like ran all through the house, and like he got he caught a beating for that um and he was like ah ha, 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 i got you and he you know uses his sling to get the uh the white cloaks all dirty um at the beginning of the book and that's where rand uh has that kind of showdown with Bornhold of the white cloaks and um then he goes running through the you know um fools russian where angels fear to tread, sort of thing. In <laughs> mm-hmm. um Shadar Logoth. He's yep. just like, Yeah, let's go run through here. <laughs> no Trollocs are here. Yeah, but let's ask why aren't the Trollocs here? If they don't want to go in here, why yes. why would we want to be in here? Yes. Um So yeah, he's kinda he, you know he's definitely very impulsive. He's always pushing um, the boundaries. Always pushing the boundaries, you know, trying to crack a joke. Um but yeah, we do know that he is, um, is Tavirin, which I mean sets him apart from like 99.9 percent of the rest of the population in the book, yeah. it's that he's Taviran, and um, so is Rand, and so is Perrin. And we know the supernatural end we said this in the other podcast that you know Rand is the dragon reborn, can channel the one power, and Perrin has night vision and wolf sense and telecommunication with the wolves. They yep. they send their little pictures back and forth to one another. Um so yeah, again, what is Matt? He's kind of the mystery here, we don't know. Yeah. But he's got the dagger, and that's like part of his like identity as a person, yeah. is he's the one with the dagger. Yep. Because that's what Bialzimum shows him in the dream. Um in, in the dreams and stuff. And oh, that's what
0: that's what he sees in the dream. He sees them those three. Isn't it? Yeah. I don't remember.
1: There's yeah, there's a point at the end of the book where there's like three wax figurines and yes. like um, Matt picks up the one with the dagger, so it's it's definitely part of his identity, yeah. and it's just unraveling uh, what it is. Yeah.
0: Very good, and you mentioned uh, Perrin just a second ago there, so let's just jump into him and yeah, Perrin is like the quiet. Um, he's really, he's really like, he's like a hunk, I guess. He's really, he's really big,
1: um,
0: but he's very quiet. And, All those uh, hours
1: swinging them heavy, uh, the metal shaping tools.
0: That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, as you said, he has the, he's like, I think they call it a wolf brother. I think that's the, the term yeah, wolf brother. for what he is. And, uh, yeah, I think that's just a really cool idea and that he can kind of commune with like different animals. Um, I'm watching, I I was talking to you earlier about this before we started recording um, about uh, Star Wars rebels. And there's a character, his name's uh, Ezra Bridger. He's like the main character in in the series. And he kind Mm -hmm. of has this thing with the force where he's really good at like communing with animals and like understanding how they feel and um, there's like animals in the show that will like help him get out of situations. Like they know a way out or stuff like that. Where, um, And I think that's, that's very similar to like how Perrin is like, he almost has this ability. It's not, it's not the force of course, but he has this ability. Um, I don't know if it could be through like the one power in some way, or that's like, that's something that's making the connection between those two, uh, the wolves and parent. Uh, maybe we'll find out more specifics about, how that connection works in later books. Um but yeah I just like that he like kind of has these allies in the wolves and uh they come to his aid of course when they're uh, captured by the children of the light uh with uh Egwene and uh yeah I think it's uh just really he's a cool character. Again, like with Matt, he would don't get a ton of screen time with him. Um so I'll be happy to get more like point of view chapters with him where we're going to get to see his uh inner thoughts as well and like how that connection with the wolves uh works a little bit more. Um so
1: yeah, I don't uh, know what would you think Yeah, of he's a, um yeah, he's a he's um our third farm boy. <laughs> you know, just uh hanging out with Master Luhan, shaping some steel every day, all day. Uh, and he's got all of his muscles and um yeah, he becomes a wolf brother. And I think they say like um so I don't think it has something to do with the one power. I think um Elias at one point in the book goes, like, This is an old thing, boy. Uh, yes,
0: yeah, you're right. I do remember that. Yes.
1: Um and I and I have the voice acting to pull upon, like different <laughs> character you know, the saint like there's a male reader and a female reader in this book series, yep. and they have the voices. And uh, the voices help me recall who said what. Yeah. Because Loyal has this sort of <laughs> slow sort of speaking yes. um, in the book. Um, yeah, but Elias is like, yeah, this is an old thing, boy. And that reminds me of when um, in um, The Line, The Witch in the Wardrobe. Thank you. I got you.
2: <laughs> yes, I know right where you're yep. going.
1: Yep, Lion the witch of the wardrobe because um, Aslan says something along the lines of like, "This is the old magic written into the universe before yes. you know time itself." Yep. Um, wow, I'm really impressed that you picked up on that <laughs> brainwave because I was totally blanking, and I don't think anyone else would have been like, "Oh yeah, the Lion the witch of the wardrobe." <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> exactly. nicely done okay good job Um, yeah because you said it's like an
0: old power and then you said it's like and i was like what else is it like Ah, yes that scene in the line the witch in the wardrobe yes
1: yeah and that and so you know the aes Sedai are obsessed with knowledge and and figuring things out and then there's um i don't think it's in this book but there's a point where um they're like saying is this an old thing or is this something new so old things can come again because it's the wheel of time. And so yeah. something that happened long ago, and then there's new things. Um, and then it's also in like a lot of the knowledge in the breaking of the world has been forgotten. So there's no yep. way to know if it's a new thing coming ag- or an old thing come again, or if it's something new indicating a no- a, the dawn of a new age. Um, yeah. And they keep talking about how there's going to be a dawn of a new age here. And we know that, Rand is bringing that about because he's Tevirin and he's the dragon reborn yep. um, so yeah um, there's definitely some things I think we're going to learn about um, this universe where they are not tied to the one power but they're still um, like gifts that people can have but they're not sure. tied to the one power
0: yeah very good uh, now we can move on to uh, the two women that are part of the party. Um, so we have Egwene, Egwene. Sorry, I'm sure some people say it differently though. Egwene and Nynaeve. and uh, I kind of liked the beginning of whenever they left Emmon's Field, where Egwene was like, "You're going on an adventure? I'm coming." <laughs> it's like she didn't really have like a reason to come. She was just like. I want to go because that sounds fun, I guess. And I don't know. I kind of like that about her. Like she's like adventurous. Like she wants to try new things and she wants to like experience new things. And I think that's one of the reasons why she's more um like excited about being an Aes Sedai or right? someone who can channel. Whereas Nynaeve is more of like the reluctant, like I don't want anything to do with this stuff. And she wants to go back home. So there's like, Egwene and Nynaeve are kind of, like, opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of, like, how they want to, like, experience life. Like, Egwene is, like, always wanting to, like, go on the adventure and try new things, and Nynaeve is like, let's go home and not do any of that, and we'll just live our normal lives. And,
1: uh... Yes, but they're also both very motivated by, um, like, taking care of people. Like, I think Egwene is, like, um... You know, you're going on this adventure, you, you woolhead, and you need someone there to help you out. Sure. Um, and Nynaeve is like, get your butts back to the village. Like, (laughs) like it's my responsibility to see you back there. And she's all mad all the time. Yep. I just, she just, um, and then her and Lan. Yeah. Like, like what happened there? (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. that kind of just came out of left field for me. Like all of a sudden they're like all interested in each other, and I was like, "Yes, what?" Because um, mm-hmm. you know, Lan is like a rock. Um, but here's Nynaeve, and she like gets to um, talk to him, and I mean, they're obviously interested in each other. I mean, that's the way yeah. I think that's just because like it.
0: she doesn't she doesn't want to spend time with the Aes Sedai. so she'll just spend time with the warder, who's like more, I guess, her. I don't think Nynaeve is like hot headed, but, and Rand is like, or not Rand, uh, Lan is very like stoic. So I guess they kind of like offset each other in a way, and he can kind of like keep her in check in a way. Uh, <laughs> so could be, could be sort interesting. Sort of the opposites uh, attract there. Yeah, it could be an interesting relationship. Um, I, I wonder if like in uh, whenever these books were first coming out, in the 90s where people like because you know how today they, they have like in book series or TV shows people are like shipping certain people or like oh I think they would be good together and then some people think they would be better with off <laughs> with somebody else I wonder if oh, there was any like of that a, dynamic like back in, the, back in the day whenever these books were coming out like team, what people thought of Team Edward and yeah. Team
1: Jacob yeah. from Twilight. the Twilight series yeah, yeah. and people where made t-shirts that Hunger was like Games. the first time that became like big
0: yeah, Team Gale or Team Peta from Hunger Games. So,
1: oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: there's not really a competitor right now, I guess, with Lan, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll just have to see where that goes. Um, Maybe but... there's
1: Team Egwene. Just by herself. For, for Rand. Oh,
0: Lan and Egwene? No, but Egwene's supposed to be with Rand.
1: Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Rand oh. with Egwene. Yes. Sorry, that's the only that because like he's a main character, you know, and yeah. I feel like that's usually where it stems from. Like the main character, I feel like Egwene would be the one. Be like yeah. One. And then she's got plenty of competition. She's got like all these girls like Rand, <laughs> like Elaine, the heir to the throne, and yep. the farm girl with. um Yep, whose mom is very upset that the boys are making yep. her daughter look at them that way, and parent yep. is the best at talking to girls, and I wish he was here.
0: <laughs> but Egwene had that guy with the uh, traveling folk, that was very sad. Oh yeah, had, that um, she had to leave. Aram. Um, yep. Aram. Yeah. The way of the leaf. The way of the leaf. Um. Anyway, <laughs> we digress. Talking about Wheel of Time relationships. Um, But yeah, I like Egwene, Egwene, and uh, I also like Nynaeve a lot. I think I like kind of the aspect of, like, it's her emotions that is what causes her to channel. Um, And I'm kind of thinking of a scene from the show where they show that very explicitly, but I'll keep that out of the discussion for now.
1: You're having trouble (laughs) compartmentalizing. I am having trouble, just
0: because, like... (laughs)
1: it's just you know the second book you know the show and you're like ah, I can't talk <laughs> okay. about i'm trying it.
0: to keep all these storylines straight in my head so it's hard for me to like just keep it in like this is only things that happened in book one i can't bring in any more external knowledge it's too hard it's too hard
1: <laughs> you just gotta be who you are i know just let it flow yeah. just let it flow
0: that's okay <laughs> All that to say is I do like the whole set of like the Emmonsfield five as like a group. I think they all bring like unique perspectives and unique ideas and they're all unique people and they all have different um, cool personalities. And I think all of them make like a really good cast of characters sort of, again, like the hobbits from, um, you know, Lord of the Rings, like you have. Frodo I mean Frodo doesn't really have like that much of a personality to be honest he's kind of just like he's the ring bearer and that's all he does Uh, but then you have like (laughs) Samwise who's like the loyal friend you have uh, Pippin who's like the kind of like the the troublemaker yeah Pippin's kind of like the troublemaker like Matt where he's always getting himself into bad situations because he he's too curious I guess usually most of the time and Um, impulsive yeah and impulsive so and then yeah I guess. I don't know. Mary's kind of like a serious and he's kind of always trying to keep Pippin in check. Although sometimes Pippin kind of drags him into his nefarious things that's going on. So yeah, Lord sure. of, the Lord of the Rings parallels continue. <laughs> okay. Now that we're done with the, the Ammons field people, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the other side characters. So first of all, Moraine is Probably the biggest side character. And uh, she is, of course, the Aes Sedai who comes to Emmons Field and is looking for the Dragon Reborn. And she finds all these uh, Emmons Fielders who are Taverin and takes them on this journey. And yeah, I just. What, do you, what did you think of, of, of Moraine? I, th- I think she's a pretty cool character. I like kind of the magic wielder, like a like Gandalf in a sense, for the all of the group there.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh first of all the Aes Sedai magic is pretty cool. Like it yeah. just seems like it doesn't it's not cookie cutter, you know, it's just yeah. like what like whatever suits the situation they're like able to do and um mm-hmm. so I really like the magic system. But yeah, Moraine is like this ocean of calm and like the torrent of <laughs> dark friends and uh the the uh the dark one coming and um yeah. Yeah. She's just like very wise. Um, and she's very, um, kind of steadfast. And it's kind of like, if you were in trouble, you would want Moraine to be on your side and want her fighting for you. Cause she would give you wise counsel. She would take care of you and, um, she would help see you through. And and she just seems very honest and genuine. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of my impression of her. Um, that she is an Aes Sedai um, worth trusting. Yeah. And as we will see in later books, yes. not every Aes Sedai is like Moraine. Yeah. Not compartmentalizing. I don't care. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. <clears throat> but I, I we, we are merely alluding to it that um, not all Aes Sedai are, are like Moraine. Because if you read just the one book, yeah. you feel like all the Aes Sedai are like Moraine, like these very very yes. powerful, very wise, very even-tempered, very diplomatic people um, yep. but I mean the Aes Sedai is, is just like it's a, a society unto itself and there are yep. ones there that are for knowledge and others that are hot-headed and others that are you know, out, you know, pride and then you have um, the Black Aja which is um, the people who have given themselves to the Dark One uh, to do his bidding um, yep. so just like you know but if you take moraine as like the um the thing to compare all of aes Sedai, or if they were all like moraine then they would just be good but yeah. i mean it's just like human society there's a wide range of women who are um yes. aes Sedai. um so yeah um i i i'm gonna be team moraine i just want her to be on my side <laughs> <laughs> i would take her and land um So, yeah, I thought uh, great character um, and just really, um, like, I mean, she, I mean, the majority of the magic is going through Moraine and she's using it out of necessity and for good things and healing people and defeating, you know, a deadly enemy when it's necessary. Um, So, yeah, that's, those are my thoughts on Moraine.
0: Yeah. And she's like a very... I think she's a very decisive character. Like she's Mm -hmm. like, here's the situation. Okay. Here's the best course of action to get us out of this situation and to safety. And she's like, okay, we're going to do this. Nobody, there's no, no book of room. We're going to follow the plan and uh, get, get it done. Um, And I think like throughout the first book, you have all of like the Emmons field people kind of like questioning, moraine if she's really on their side and all these kind of things but like throughout the whole book she's like doing all of these things specifically for them to keep them safe the whole time and it's like, unwavering why, support yeah it's like why you guys why are you guys questioning moraine she's out here saving your life them trollocs would have wiped you all out in emmons field if she didn't come around and save you guys so you know it's like I don't know. They're, they're, they're probably just like caught up in their head about all the bad stories they've heard of Aes Sedai. Oh, yeah. And then when they finally meet one, they have all these preconceived notions about what the Aes Sedai are supposed to be. And then whenever they meet... It's called terrain, a
1: stereotype and it yes. exists here on planet Earth. What? No, people we don't have, think that we don't have
0: stereotypes th- here.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and so, yeah, they're they're just caught up in all the old stories and all the things that, like, the Gleeman yep. would say about the Aes Sedai and, you know, Tam's warning that, yes. you know, the truth you hear is not what they say and... Um, Which oh, has an element yeah, of yeah, truth get, in it. Yeah, and, like, words have power and Aes Sedai always speak the truth and we will learn that there's a ritual that they go through that only allows them to speak the truth yes Um, but you know what I I want I've been thinking this for a long time and this is going to be the perfect opportunity to talk (laughs) about God and the Aes Sedai all in one go so here we are All right, let's go Um, so I have I had a boss who micromanaged me and he was very obsessed with words um, and he um he needed a a level of precision in the way that you communicated that was previously unknown to me. Like you could not use the wrong words in the wrong spot. Um, like this isn't a hub, it's a switch. And then we're going to go into the explanation on why it's a switch. And we are going to learn this. And it taught me to communicate more precisely and I still use it and it's a, it's a valuable skill, but I mean, to be on the hook for every wrong word that you use is a very tough situation to be in. Yeah. Um, and like, it does not matter that your intention was good. Like if you use the wrong word in the wrong spot, I was once stopped during a professional development to, instead of saying like drag and drop, uh, like to highlight things on the desktop, I was the, it was stopped. And I was told that that is called. Last sewing um <laughs> items in the uh, like on the desktop. Um so stickler, just, just just the next level of accountability when it comes to language. Okay, uh-huh. back to I Sedai and speaking the truth. So I have learned to calibrate my speech to try and communicate things exactly as like to his specifications but it's also made me think through things a lot more and use the correct vocabulary at the correct time um, which is a valuable skill and when it comes to truth I I have made a pact with myself not to lie and it's going to be very hard to go through life not lying um, and that's you know that's not to say that I'm not fallible and like I may say something that is what I I feel to be in the truth but then it might have been a misunderstanding yeah. um but like if you ask me something you're going to get the truth um, cuz I I don't lie and there's something that I use uh, from a discipleship journey called the balance between truth and grace. So whenever you're speaking to someone, you want to speak it in grace. So you should never come at somebody and make them feel like offended and like mm-hmm. like they're in the wrong. So you have to find where's that balance between telling someone uh, something and then doing it in a way that they can hear it and it's graceful and there's not like up like you're not stinging and like trying to hurt this person. Um, and then there are um, things that I choose to say that are true but maybe not um, like. Um, Like maybe I got home and the old me would be like, I just, this is a terrible example, but like, I just, um, you know, I just walked in the door. Um, and that's the truth. But maybe it's like, I just walked in the back door and I've been home for like half an hour, you know, Oh, I just walked in the door, you know? So there is an element of truth in that. Yeah. And it's like a half like, that's just a very like you know short like little example like where i'm not telling a lie but i'm also not being truthful but there is this passage in the bible that says we need to be as wise as snakes and i think that's in proverbs somewhere so like it kind of makes it incumbent upon the listener to hear the things in the way that they're being communicated so like if you have two well you know like, uh, so the, also, and, and more God thoughts here. So there's a passage that said God delight, uh, sorry, God delights in uh, concealing things, and scientists, I think, uh, delight in uncovering things. And so you know, if God does stuff, then that is okay, right? Um, because God is the truth. Like God is all things good. Um, and so, if he conceals stuff, like, can we conceal stuff, but the it is incumbent upon the listener to be as a wise as a snake, so I can say, I just walked in the door, and then the person on the other end might say, like, but when did you get home, and then I'm obligated to say, like, oh, 20, 30 minutes ago, and I've been watching a television show or something. That's not sure. what happens here, because I'm usually doing the pets, but, yeah. like... It becomes incumbent upon the listener to hear, but that only works if both communicating parties are, like, truth tellers and, and, um, you know, people who, like, have a ethical code because... Uh, If you know that that's the other person, and you hear them say something that's not quite right, you can be like, well, let's just go back to that for a second. What do you mean? (laughs) Like, you just walked in the door. Did you or like, when did you get home? If that's like the true thing that you're like listening and trying to find out for. Um, So I think that they're like because we also live in a world where people do lie and people don't tell the truth and people um, you know do all these things and I think that it's a way for us as Christians and this is this is me going out on way existential like ground like don't quote me on this but I just think this way (laughs) like it's a way for. Like us or for me personally, I'll just say me because I don't want other other people to do this if they don't if they feel it's against the Bible. But like a way to like if you're there are fools like that's in Proverbs, like you shouldn't talk to, you know, fools. You shouldn't get mixed up in in the foolish things, but a way to talk to like maybe a fool and say like, um, you know, one of these things that are true, but it's just kind of concealing. Because if you go into the whole details of something, then it's going to be messy yeah. and it's just a way to kind of gracefully like walk through a situation that could be really sticky. Because people yeah. also think that if you are telling the truth, you ha- it's like liar, liar, where you have to tell the truth in an ungraceful way and it has to yes. be like, you know, like run into it and like hit people over the head with the truth. But yeah. you can also tell the truth in a small, quiet voice. Um, yeah. And so the world isn't sorry. like binary. That, so that, yeah. Um, so that's like where my like thought goes when, I, and that's the fir- first time I've kind of articulated it out loud. But it pulls in, you know, like. There are fools in the world and we want to, you know, when you let your yes mean yes, you know, you want to speak truthfully, but God conceals things, you know, do we have a right to conceal things? And, um, you know, and then the, it's incumbent upon the listener to be as wise as a snake as well. If something is not making sense to go back and be like, Hey, uh, what, you know, what about this thing? So, all right, I've unloaded. What did you, what did you think of my thought there, Tyler? Go ahead.
0: Um... So I'm trying to tie it back to like Moraine and Aes Sedai. So you're t- saying something along the lines of like you, like there's a way, to, there's a way like, like the truth
1: that you hear is not the truth that was said or, or something sure. like that.
0: Yeah. Like there's an element of Moraine where she has to tell the truth, but there's also an element where she has to tell the truth in some capacity, but she doesn't have to tell like the whole story of like, like the complete truth in a way and i think that mm-hmm. that does speak to like how like the way the world is like there's a lot of situations where you can say the truth in one way you like you can say the truth in multiple ways like i like there's not like a binary between like the truth or the lie like there's a there's the truth there's the lie and then there's like a bunch of gray in the middle of all of those different things and mm-hmm. so like you can tell the truth to somebody in a way that's like maybe you're telling like a a partial truth because maybe they're not ready to hear the full truth in their current state. Like if you told them Mm -hmm. the full truth of what you actually thought, then like maybe you'd ruin the relationship or maybe you'd send them off and like, uh, like they wouldn't be able to handle it emotionally or something like that where it's like, like
1: I, um, like I, you know, I don't think you handled that situation the best Yes. versus like you're running your, your life into the ground which is my actual thought (laughs) yeah exactly
0: like there's different ways that you could speak the truth into a situation um and yeah so truth and grace yeah exactly and yeah so moraine kind of has like she has to tell the truth but there's like different ways that she can tell the truth you know like she doesn't Mm -hmm. have to give the whole story um is that that's kind of what i got out of what you were saying
1: yeah, and, and just, like, do you think as a Christian, um, I, well, I, I feel like I'm always called to tell the truth. Um, yeah. And, like, and what do you think about the right of a Christian to conceal certain things um, and not get into it if they don't have to? Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I think it, like, depends on the situation. But, yeah, I do think it's sometimes wise to conceal things to, like, yeah, like preserve pieces of a relationship or, um, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I mean, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'm, because I'm in our re engagement like, material, specific... yeah, um, it, it was basically like, um, you don't have to voice every annoyance that you have yes, with your spouse, yes. exactly, like, yes. um. Because that's not, <laughs> that's going to run your relationship into the ground. Like you, I, I've seen quotes of like, you need 10 positive interactions for every two negative. So, yeah. um, you know, in that case, I think, you know, that's a good example of like, Hey, <laughs> things that annoy you. And sometimes you just have to like, get over yeah. yourself and be like, that's not going to like, this is not the thing that's gonna like take time out of our day to talk about. Like I can get over that. Yeah. And and we can just move on. And then, again, it comes back to are you in a godly relationship where both people are seeking Christ? Because then you can trust your spouse that they're going to fix it. Yeah. Um, Like, you know, it might not be this year. It might not be next. But, like, yeah. in the long run, we're all trying to get closer to God. Well, in, in this household, we are trying to get yeah. closer to God. And in your household, yeah. um, I know that you guys uh, do a lot of reading and do your – both working at the church, <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a big part of your life. So, um, and we can trust our spouses to work on those things. Um, but then again, you get into, um, the realm of people who are not Christians and who are not working on their relationship with God. And, yes. um, then that's when things get better and, and then people say things because they think if they don't say it, then the other person will never change. Um, and that's kind of how we can trust in God, just knowing that he's doing a good work in our spouse and in ourselves. Um, and we don't, and, and the devil wants you to rush. The devil wants you to get into things really fast and speak your mind and to take, you know, and to take shots. Um, yep. Be hasty. And God wants you to cool it down and take the long path and understand that, you know, sometimes it takes your own like to master yourself before um you know before the change is going to happen
0: yes exactly i think i've mentioned jordan peterson on the podcast before but he has a book 12 rules for life and uh there's one of the rules that's something like you need to it's basically like the clean your room rule where like you need to fix your things in your own life before you can go out into the world and try to change everything in in the world. And it's like a good principle to live by. Um, Like not trying to like, if you don't have yourself together, you're not going to be able to like speak truth into the world and do it in a, uh, in a good way. Um, And I think something else with what you were saying, like there's a difference between uh, like just always saying like speaking the truth all the time and like telling the truth in specific situations. Like you don't need to like walk around saying like your hair looks stupid or like, I hate those shoes or like, like that's just like telling (laughs) the truth for like no reason, just in a way that's supposed like designed to be hurtful to people, you know? Oh, for sure. So like you can tell the truth. Comments aren't kind. Like you can tell the truth, but that doesn't make it like beneficial to anybody around you or help, help the relationship in any way. Like there's, like whenever you're in a specific situation where you're trying to resolve a problem or something like that, where it's like more of like an intimate relationship and you know, the person really well, like I think those are the scenarios where you need to really think about like how you're telling the truth and like, what is the best way to go about that? And like, sometimes like, do you need to just tell someone just bluntly and honestly, like what you think, or is it a scenario where you just need to kind of like, I need to kind of say it in this particular way that they are more receptive to hear what I, like if I say it in this way, they'll be more inclined to listen to what I have to say. Whereas if I just came out and said it bluntly, they would just write it off, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to think about how someone's going to respond as well.
1: Because you want to be you want to be a reflection of God's character, and um, you yeah. know Jesus was not known for going around and insulting people's sandals and telling them that they didn't have good jobs, and yeah. you know those were not in his character. He was yeah. about you know, listen to my words, I can bring you life yeah. out of, you know, the death that you are in. And yeah, um, yeah he's he like, his words brought life to people. Yeah. And that's also a good barometer. Like, is your are your words life giving? Or do they like, yeah. you know, take away from the moment yeah. and um, take away, you know, end up leaving hurt and scars yeah. on people. Um, I try to make my my words be as um, as to fill people up as much as, as much as they can and as much as I can to, to give it to them.
0: Yeah. And I mean, with Jesus, like he didn't like avoid the hard things or he didn't avoid like telling people about their sin, but he did it in a way that they were receptive to hearing what he had to say. So it was the way that he said it to those particular people. And he could do it in the best way possible because he knew who they were. He knew their life story. He knew everything about them as a person, but it's, Uh, like it's harder for us because we don't know everything about even the, the people we know the most, we don't know everything about who they are and like their thought process and how they're thinking. Um, But like, that's like a good thing to like, think about like how you're going to tell the truth to somebody um, is to try to emulate as much as possible the way Jesus did it, knowing full well that we cannot do it perfectly, of course, but like that's part of the process of like, we'd
1: all be Jesus.
0: Yeah, exactly. We'd all be Jesus, (laughs) which is, Not going to happen, but that's like, there's the church word it's called sanctification, which is where like the process that you become more and more like Jesus over the course of your Christian life. And so like, um, throughout that whole process, like you'll, if you're, you know, in the word and you're pursuing that, then you'll be able to more and more, uh, live like Jesus. Um, and that's just, that's just part of the Christian life. And once you become a Christian, that process of sanctification starts and, it's on us to, you know, pursue that daily, um, consistently. And it's over also, years. Uh,
1: we learned in our uh, re engage group that it's also part of like having a spouse. Uh, one of the quotes from the book was, um, you know, in marriage, there is no place to hide because you live with a person day in and day out. They see you at your best, they see you at your worst. And, um, yeah. and then if you are in a Christian marriage, that, um, your spouse is supposed to, um, they will see your sin and they will try and help you. And if you have a spouse that's after you, uh, or you feel like they're after you, that can be very taxing. I have, I've also had, um, I am divorced and, and I've had, I wouldn't say that I was felt like I was like, um, my ex-wife was after me, but, um, just that there was constant improvements to be made and it, and it felt and it fell squarely on my shoulders and and that's a very taxing way and that's another way that you can smother someone is by um yes is is putting it all on them and not realizing that in a marriage like this is a journey together um and that it's about picking each other up when the other yes. person struggling and not when the other person's struggling saying yeah. hey you need to do better and i just need to see that or i'm yeah. going to be upset with you <laughs> yeah that's a good way to bury someone in emotion yeah.
0: <laughs> and you are remarried now you just said you were divorced but you are now you are so, yeah for
1: clarifications <laughs> i am very happily married um with uh, my wife and we have one daughter and we have a magical home and we have two new jobs and God is providing very abundantly. We're super thankful and uh just yep. yeah. Life uh life is hard right now. It is very tumultuous uh with all of these changes cuz uh, we got the new house and the new jobs all in the past year. Um not even <laughs> like yeah. the past 8 Six months. months. Yeah. And and uh yeah. And so it's been a very tough transition cuz we have more responsibility, we are getting paid more. Um but it is it, jenna and i are being put in new situations that are very tough and uh so we have leaned on god and you know we did our marriage story a few weeks ago and one of our quotes was um you know build your house on the rock and then when the storm comes that you can stand firm on the rock with god and we feel like we've been doing that but we feel like (laughs) We have been bruised and battered in, in, in the going through of the storm. And I know that I am looking forward to two to three years in the future where we are living this life that we've been living and it's more of a rhythm to it. And we have all the things and, um, life will be better. (laughs) Um, but we are, we are very blessed and it's, and you know, it's hard to keep your eyes on how many blessings you have when you are struggling daily with, Things at school, things at home, things with kids. Um, but yeah, we we recognize that we are very blessed. Yeah. Very good. Side quest two, three, four, five, and six complete.
0: That concludes our discussion of Moraine as a character. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. we, have,
1: we have no more time to
0: talk about her. <laughs> okay, now we can do probably rapid fire. Um, All right. So we're gonna do we'll do we'll do lan tom and loyal and i don't think we really have time to talk about enemy characters but we kind of talked about those throughout the other episodes so if you didn't listen to those just go listen to those or watch those to get our thoughts on that um so lan he is uh moraine's warder which is like her she it's like warders are bonded to aesadai and and there's a deep connection there. Um, something that is not necessarily shown a lot in this first book, like what that connection is like. Um, but in the show, they do talk about that a lot more and they make that more explicitly clear. Um, so we'll talk more about that whenever we do our show um, podcast um, next. But yeah, I, I think I just really liked Lan as a character. He's obviously an awesome swordsman and uh, he makes uh, make it look easy whenever he's fighting people Um, and he's just really protective of Moraine and once doesn't want her to get hurt in any way and like together they are like a crazy fighting force and like with her magic yeah. and like the connection that they have with each other like he can kind of understand her emotions and what she's feeling and vice versa um so i just really like that uh relationship between uh the two and uh yeah we don't really get like i don't think we get any point of view from lan at all so we never really get to see like what his thought process is with anything um but yeah, he's just kind of like the stoic warrior protecting, uh, the Emmons fielders and everybody else. And, uh, he's also like a, a scout. who will go ahead and make sure everything is safe for everybody. And yeah, he's just a good guy. Good character. What do you think?
1: Yeah, he's, he's good. Um, yeah, I do like the Moraine and Lan duo because like, if like, she's overextended her magical self and she's all weak, like Lan is her yes. protector. And, um, like, you know, it makes you see that Aes Sedai aren't, like, perfectly invulnerable. Yeah. Although yeah. they are, like, you know, heavy power, um, you know, one power wielders. And Lan is, it's just like it just kind of makes sense like (laughs) he's there to protect her when she needs it and uh she does a lot of the heavy lifting too they're both i mean together they are a force (laughs) to be dealt with i mean at one point in the book it's quoted that they both would be worth a thousand lances and yeah over time like they their their accomplishments build up um yep and he's just a stoic character um you know i think he didn't say this, but he was like, basically, rock is more expressive than land. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I like those comparisons to like natural things like rock is more um, yep. expressive than land. Um, so, yeah, good character. Enjoyed him. Um, and yeah, he's 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 full of knowledge, too. Like he doesn't say much, but, yeah, you know, he's like a tactician. You know, he breaks into the white cloak camp. You know, not yeah. every person could devise a way to do that, but land's just like, I got this. Yeah. So just highly, highly capable individual.
0: And I think it's, I don't, again, I don't remember if this was from the first book or not, but he's like a, um, he's like a Lord or he was a Lord or something. Yeah, it is. He was, he's uh, like it's a It's when they go something. to
1: Dara, they, yes. they talk about land's backstory and how he was supposed to be a king, I think. And then his lands fell and, um, yeah. And he and he he was noble born, but um, yeah. and now he lives a life of service, yeah, just like Jesus Christ, serving <laughs> other people.
0: Well, we don't have time All for another Jesus side quest, though. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like because of that, his noble birth, like he probably is highly educated, and so like he can use a lot of that oh, education. Sure. And now his uh, crazy physical prowess with the blade and like merging those two things together makes him a very capable uh warrior and like a capable ally to have on your side if you're if you got to do something uh to defeat some enemy um so yeah land's awesome and now let's move on to tom maryland tom maryland not maryland um yeah tom i love tom he's awesome i love the uh just like the like the he's like a happy character almost like he's got the the music and all the stories and he goes to Emmons field and makes everybody um he like woos everybody with their stories um it reminds me of that scene in um lord of the rings when bilbo is telling his story about the dragons to all the little little hobbit kids um and he's like there was two trolls in there all, all their eyes are like oh, what did you do um like he like like that's kind of what he reminds me of although he's he's not like he has a tough like history so he's not like all uh like rainbows sunshine and, sunshine. and rainbows yeah, and sunshine unicorns and rainbows. yeah like he does have like a a serious history and like a lot of stuff has happened to him in the past so the fact that he can kind of like look past all those kind of things and still like make people laugh and uh be happy is uh is pretty cool and i like that he's also kind of like a i mentioned this in one of the other podcasts but he's kind of like a father figure to the the emmons fielders like he uh he wants to protect them because they got mixed up with the aes Sedai and like we find out um he had a a nephew i think it was that could channel on the aes Sedai gentled him and then uh, his nephew uh, killed himself. Um, so like, just like dark stuff like that, where he has um, like, he wants, he's seen what the Aes that can do. And he doesn't want that, those same things to happen to the, the, uh, the innocent Emmons fielders. And so, yeah, he's, he's a cool character. I like all his stories and he helps, uh, he teaches them, uh, Rand and Matt, how to play the flutes and stuff, which keeps them alive throughout half of the story, which is also really great. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Any other thoughts on Rand from you?
1: Uh, for Tom Marilyn. Oh yeah. Tom um, Maryland, not Rand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that you've said most of it. Um, and again, like, I just don't think that we have, I, I don't know. We do have people in the world that are like that, but I just feel like I am not one of those people. And I like feel like I should be more where like a personal tragedy has touched um Tom Marilyn with this um nephew that was gentled and then killed himself. And then because of that, he's like compelled to help Ran and Matt and Perrin uh because he knows what could come next for them with the Aes Sedai. And I just, you know, and we talked about how Tom Marilyn had the friend at the uh at the Queen's Blessing um in Camelin. And how that person took in the crew and um, you know, just because of the relationship that he had with uh, Tom and I just wish more people were like that in the world. And I, you know, as we've said before, be the change that you want to see in the world. So I have to figure out how to be more like that so that other people will be more like that in the future.
0: I just, I was just, as you were talking, I was just thinking like Tom kept, Rand and Matt alive for like the whole book essentially. Like he comes <laughs> they're, with they're them not very from capable. the beginning. <laughs> he uh he stays with them on the boat and helps them get to uh Whitebridge. And then in Whitebridge I think so. He saves them from the uh the, the murder and uh dies although I don't think he's dead. Um and then he teaches them how to do the the gleam and stuff, which keeps them alive throughout their whole journey keeping them in ends and gets them food and money and stuff to sustain them across the whole journey. And then he keeps them alive when they get to Camlann because he tells them about the queen's blessing where they can have a friend there and stay and be safe. And so like this whole like half 75% of the book, like it's Tom Maryland who is keeping Rand and Matt alive, which is, <laughs> and even after he's dead, he's like still helping or dead. I don't think he's dead, but um, even after that, he's like still helping them in a way. Um, so like, just like shows the impact that he had on those characters and, um, and like even throughout the book, like there's scenes where Rand's like, man, I wish Tom was here. Like he would know what to do. Or like, I wish I would just have someone else to talk to, like to get advice from, you know? Cause like, sure. I mean, you can ask Matt, but like he's cursed with the dagger, so he's mm-hmm. not gonna have any good advice anyways, and he's mm-hmm. he's still the innocent, naive Emmons fielder. He's not gonna have any advice that will help them in, in in the world in any way. So um yeah, Tom Tom is awesome, love him, and uh hope to see more of him. Uh okay, so let's move on to the loyal, the Ogier, which also is an awesome character. Um who in the show they cast really well, and I love him in the show as well um yeah what did, what do you think of loyal? Just general thoughts
1: the o gear um well as a k- like first of all, I think that you know the o gear as a people are very interesting, yes, as they have their life away from human beings, they live in the settings and um yeah, I think that that's very interesting, and then loyal is just like. Um, he's a loyal character he signs on with the three Taviran and he's like I'm out to see the world
2: and here I go
1: <laughs> oh and one thing I was listening to our podcast so I think this is the first time that I've listened to a podcast before recording another podcast with on the same topic <laughs> and then I was like I never said it so here's my J.R.R. Tolkien link he's, it's like the Ents Yes. The ent's the walking trees, and they have the ent moot, which lasts for like a yep. week or something when they yep. like make decisions. That's like right. something like that, humans would walk into a boardroom and like slap out in an hour. They'll be like, Yeah, we'll meet for a week about this. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Um, yeah, I think that I think I yeah, said well, they were
0: like the elves and like how that, yeah, how you said they were they like were. the elves. And but yeah, then I they were lost- probably more like the ent's. I, I would agree with that.
1: Yeah, and I was just thinking that uh, listening to that one. Um, and then he's like, he's like our navigator. He's the one who gets them into and through the ways. Well, yep. Moraine unlocks the ways, but without him. Um, and then uh, he's just loyal. Like uh, he has chances to drop off the party, and he says, "No, I want to stay with you guys. I want, yep. I want to go forward with the Taviran. And <laughs> yep. even though he it's wants like, to see,
0: he wants to see history being written. Like he wants to be present for. It, like the, how wow. the Taverin will shape the world around them. Like he wants to see all of it.
1: Yeah. But he, I mean, you have to have a certain heart to do that. Yeah. And loyal at 90 years old, you know, being the, basically the, the rambunctious teenager of the, yeah. uh, of the O gear, yeah. you know, he's like, I want to go with you guys. Oh, this is yeah. going to be great. Um, so yeah, uh, I enjoyed him good steadfast character. Um, Yeah approval stamp of approval
0: yeah i agree with all of that you said there i also like whenever he comments about like the way humans do certain things he's like why do you humans do things like this or why do you have to make decisions so hastily or why are you always in a hurry like just him commenting on the way humans do things is kind of amusing because he's like he doesn't like understand the way humans are um and especially like um, we see a lot more of this in book two whenever they get to a certain city where he's like, This is like too too conniving for me. <laughs> it's like, you got the humans have like, it's too complex the way humans think. And he's, <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll talk about that in uh, in a later episode when we get to book two. Um, but yeah, Loyal's awesome. And yeah, so that's gonna. I think that's good for character discussion um i think we can maybe spend a little bit of time i think we have could do a few more minutes here um just thoughts on like the world building and um just the fact that we could do three episodes on this well i feel like we could do three episodes and other stuff but like there was just so much in this book um like, that's a testament. We can do five like, episodes. Yeah. There, like, if you really wanted on. to, like, dig down deep into certain things. But, like, there's just so much in this book. And, like, I was telling uh, Gabe earlier about, like, every chapter I read in these books, I feel like there's something new about the history, about a, a character, or about a place, or something that happened in the past that's affecting things that are happening now. Um, there's just so many different little details that like i'm never going to remember them all and like i would have to like read the books over and over again to like really remember all of the details um but like i just love that about uh like these epic fantasy books where there's like the world building is so well done where it's like seamlessly interwoven into the story um and yeah i don't know it's just i just love those kind of stories because it makes the world feel like very alive and real like there's like actual people could live there. And like, you feel like the world is going on like outside of what your main characters are doing. And like, I love whenever we get like, um, like we're going along with the main story with our main characters. And then we get a chapter where it's like, here's something that's happening on the other side of the whole world. Um, that's like related to what's happening, but like not directly related. Like it's going to play a part in the story later on. Um, yeah, I just love, love all that kind of stuff and brandon sanderson does a lot of that in his books especially in the stormlight archive when he has like the interludes between the different parts of the books where he takes like side characters and gives them more um uh, backstory and fleshing out or it's like a different part of the of the story where we don't really get to see from very often so yeah i don't know any other thoughts from you on just like world building and just the wheel of time like in general as a story yeah
1: for sure Um, so with the world building yeah that's another thought that I had that um, like Robert Jordan does a good job of framing uh, and like building in the history like when Moraine is in um, you know Emmonsfield at the two rivers and she's just defeated all the Trollocs and they're saying get out you eyes Sedai witch nobody wants you here uh, to her um, and she launches into this story about Manetherin and how they were a thorn to the Dark One's foot, and uh, you know the the Manetherin yeah. they walked for th- like five days straight, and they shouldn't have held off the enemy forces for more than an hour, but they fought for ten days straight on no sleep and um, yep. just you know they thought these incredible were incredible stories. Coming. Yeah, they yep, and uh, you know so that like just like oh you're in a town but now you're getting like the history of the people who live here and like why they are the way they are they're all as stubborn yeah. as stone and they don't you know um yeah so there's that and then there was one other thing i was going to mention uh that i told you i'd say for the podcast which was i love the way that robert jordan does these like self-referencing um like analogies maybe um so like uh he looked as mischievous as a coffin on, mm-hmm. you know, know, on feast day or something. So, like, you know, like, you have this idea of what mischievous is, and then, like, he takes it and he makes it, like, self-referencing, like, in Emmons Field, like, who is the most yes. mischievous people? It's the coffins. And so he, like, does this. And then he does it throughout the book, um, but he does it... Um, <laughs> Oh, you're saying you know, we Matt. About-
0: you're saying Matt Coffin, the the name. I thought you said Coffin, like a a cask.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay, I understand um, what you're saying. now. pronouncing. Yeah, Matt. But Cawthon. like he does yeah. it throughout the book. Um, like he does these things yes. like as 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 rich as the uh, yeah. as Elaine or something, and he and he does it and because you have in your head yeah like what a word should mean and then he like references something that is like the exemplar or the prototypical version of whatever he's describing yeah and to me that just seems to um you know like he was as mad as the dark one was or something you know like um it just brings the book more to life because, you know, we make those references in our heads and we make them to the things that we know in our world. And then he's like, he doesn't do that. He, he brings his, he brings the, the world's thinking to your brain. Yes. Like, Oh, if I think about mischievous things, like I'm going to think about Matt Matram and you know, him, you know, pouring flour all over the dogs and letting them run through someone's yeah. house. <laughs> <laughs> because the characters
0: um, in the story wouldn't know what our sayings are because they don't have any reference for what things are like in this world. And so he has to put... Uh, put
1: precisely. like yeah. and, and, like, we don't have um, a good way of, like... like he just, and, and I just don't think that I've read another author who kind of, like, does that. Like, makes their... Like, makes his character thoughts like your thoughts yes yeah
0: um <clears throat> something else that i really i uh, think is cool is <clears throat> there was a um, if you don't i think i may have mentioned this before but uh brandon sanderson has a podcast it's called intentionally blank and he did an episode on the wheel of time uh because the show is out mm. of course and um uh, It's him just, like, talking about uh, the show, um, some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff with, like... Because he's a producer on the show and some stuff like that. Um, But something he mentioned in that podcast is uh, that the Wheel of Time is heavily based in, like, like legends from Earth. And uh, so, like, he pulls in... There's a character mentioned called uh, Arthur Hawkwing throughout the book, this first book. Mm -hmm. And that's, like... Um, a callback to King Arthur and the Arthurian legends that we have in this world. Oh, and um, interesting. yeah, like part of what like the wheel of time is as a story is like that the wheel of time in that, in that setting is our world, but it's like the wheel has went around and around and around. So like uh, the history, the world that they're living in now, like they're pulling legends from Like our time the legends that we have and um like we have legends maybe of stories that are similar to people that happened in wheel of time because of the stories that were written for the wheel of time in this world so like and that's part of like the whole thing of the wheel of time where it's like a cycle and it's our world but the cycle has happened so many times that people forget stories and they become legend and there's things like that in our world where there's stories that we have that are legends that I don't know, were they true stories or are they not true stories? That's not, we're not sure. Um, so I think that's just really cool where it's like he's pulling in a bunch of different legends throughout the world, that, like throughout our own history as well and putting them into the, his own stories and making them different and, uh, and unique. And, uh, yeah, I, don't know, I think that was a really cool like tidbit that he shared about that. And he mm-hmm. says it, of course, yeah, better than I can because he understands exactly what he's saying, and I'm, like, trying to recall it. Um, so I'll I'll put a link to it in the description you guys can go check it out if uh, I would highly recommend it it's a really good listen and it also helps to give you some perspective on uh, the TV show as well and like why the TV show made certain decisions Um, so but I'll probably talk more about that whenever we do uh, the TV show episode Um, yeah I think that's going to do it Uh, unless you have any other thoughts on world building or just the series in general or first book?
1: Um, no, I think, uh, I think we've said a lot and, uh, I think we both have really enjoyed the book and we're interested yeah. to see where it goes because this is, um, definitely a book series that, um, does world building at like yeah. a grand level. Yes. <laughs> so, for sure. uh, yeah, I um yep just interested to see where we go from here, and into book two, the Indeed. hunt for the horn. Yes, the great hunt, the great hunt.
0: So speaking of what we're what's happening next, so the next episode we're going to uh do a show on just season one of the Wheel of Time TV show. Just our thoughts, like comparing it to the book, um, the the decisions that the show made that we may or may not agree with, and what our thoughts are. On those things and then uh, after that we're going to do the second book uh, the great hunt of the wheel of time and after that we're not sure maybe we'll take a break and do something else we'll do do a shorter book maybe because these books are really long <laughs> and they take a long time to read um, but yeah that's the plan right now so if you want to stay up to date with everything pages of light and what we're doing you can go to our web our website pages And you can follow us on social media. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Goodreads, all sorts of things. Uh, You can follow what Gabe is doing at neighborhoodnerdservices.com. And links for all of those things, of course, will be in the description, as well as the link to the the Brandon Sanderson podcast, if you want to check that out. And also a link to buy uh, the book as well, if you want to grab that. Um, if you want to support us, you can go leave us a review on your podcast app on Apple Podcast. Let us know what you think of the podcast and how we can do better or what books you want to see us read in the future. Anything like that. And you can also go and subscribe over on our YouTube channel uh, if you want to watch the video version of this podcast as well. And, yeah, I think that's going to do it. Thank you very much for listening. And, uh, yes, the tagline remember to keep reading and to share the gospel with somebody this week (laughs) i almost forgot to say it um yeah keep reading to say share the gospel with somebody this week if you can and we will see you guys in the next episode goodbye
1: see ya